Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Kong Roundtable. Today, as always, you're joined by me, Mulder, or was known as Faye, and... Uh, Ton here, once more. And Crash here again, per usual. And today, we will be discussing the sequel to, to 1953's King Kong, which Son of Kong, which came out that very same, same year. year. <laughs> yeah. Kong 33 had its wide release April 7th, I believe, of that year, and this one came out December 22nd, so there was not much time between them. Which is oh, nuts Lord. to think about. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of shows in some ways, but I'll get into that. Okay, Crash, what would you give Cine Kong out of 10? Uh, personally, I feel like I might give it like 7.5 to 8 out of 10. Like, okay. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Um, it gets a uh, six out of ten for me. Yeah, it, it it gets a six out of ten for me too. Crash, this is one of those where you son of con like, haters, <laughs> <laughs> where you like it more than we do by a lot. But still, make this fun. Anyway, Son of Kong was directed by Ernest Schotzak, who was the who was the co-director on King Kong Thirty Three. Marion C. Cooper didn't come back for this one, but it had the same um writer, Ruth Rose who was the writer for Kong 33. And she apparently went into this one trying to make it not serious and, and very funny, which I actually explained stuff. But it's kind of interesting how her whole thing was well, basically that there was no way to make a good sequel to Kong 33, so she figured, let me be funny with this. That, that was like the Gremlins 2 approach. Like, it's hard yeah. to top what was really good, so they just kind of like had fun with it. Yeah, I understand it. So, what did you guys think of the direction in this one? Definitely felt a lot cheaper, for sure. <laughs> More low key, but yeah. Um, yeah, it had the same. It felt consistent, I guess. Yeah, thirty-three. I mean, right after they kept most of the crew, I imagine. So, hmm. besides like the lower budget, I think it looked probably not not as like great shot as like the original, but it was alright, I guess. <laughs> Son. Yeah, um, direction-wise, it's pretty consistent with Kong 33. I guess the biggest difference is that it feels a little more character-driven Yeah, 33. 33's For a sure. little more kind of epic. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm not really sure if that's a budget thing or more show mm -hmm. sack versus Cooper influence. Yeah, for me, I feel like in regards to Son of Kong's direction, I think it obviously feels... Like the same people making it, which is obviously true. The only big person who I can tell isn't on this, like I said, is Marion C. Cooper and not being one of the directors. But I feel like it keeps it. But at the same point, though, like Crash was saying, you can kind of see that the budget's a little bit lower. And I also feel like part of that, though, is how rushed this movie had to have been to be released in the time span it was. So I don't think there was enough time to refine it per se, and you can see that. And that's just that, that there's not as many sets or locations in this one that there are in Kong Thirty Three, for example. Yeah, a lot more well, low key. Like Skull Island is a lot smaller in this one. There's only like two locations on yeah, Skull. They don't really like traverse like the island as much in the first one. They mm -hmm. kind of like go to one part and just kind of stick around there. Yeah. And I guess before we get into it, also, I feel like Son of Kong is kind of a forgotten movie. And I'm curious why you guys think that is. Uh, 
I think it's because, you know, it's released, like, within the same time frame as Kong, and, like, just kind of inherently, you can't really have that same impact that King Kong had. And obviously, probably with, like, the stigma of, like, look at this really shitty low-budget sequel that came out right after, it just kind of fell to the wayside, I imagine. People just yeah. kind of forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's not as good. And so I think all those factors attribute to it being more, like, forgotten. Mm-hmm. Ton. Yeah, I kind of I agree with your crash. Um, I think the thing is with sequels, you know, they tend to be hit or miss by nature. And when you have an especially beloved movie like that's so culturally iconic, like King Kong, um, it's hard to really follow that up. And like, um, usually for a sequel to something that big to kind of succeed, it would have to be almost bigger than the original, like. You know, Aliens versus Alien, mm-hmm. um, Empire Strikes Back versus A New Hope. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily better than the originals, but they're more bigger in scale. Yeah. Son of Kong's way, way smaller than King Kong. <laughs> so in probably... many ways. <laughs> so that probably made it not stand out to people as much. Yeah. I feel like with Son of Kong 2, I think also because there wasn't that time gap and because King Kong never got that franchise the way Godzilla did, Son of Kong almost feels like an oddity and out of all the Kong stuff in that it's the only like true sequel yeah. to a Kong movie for a while. Like You have King Kong Lives... But that movie had 10 years between it and King Kong 76, and even that movie's kind of forgotten, too. So I feel like the Kong sequels kind of have a tendency to fall to the wayside if there's nothing that really makes them super me- like, like in a way that'll make you like remember them. I think that's something that Sonic Kong kind of, run, kind, of, kind of runs into. Like, while it started that trend of, you know, oh, here's the monster's son. Yeah. <laughs> It. I don't think it ended up being iconic beyond the title, if that makes sense. Yeah. To be, I to be fair, I didn't know anything about this movie except that you know, Son of Kong. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, I was excited to see it. But yeah, it. It. Besides that, like, yeah, when you think of the 1933 King Kong movies, like you're gonna think of King Kong. Mm-hmm. It, it just kind of uh, just inherently just cannot really live up to that, and because of that, it's just much more obscure. Especially yeah. when you have, like when half of the franchise's history remakes, it's like yeah, <laughs> it it just kind of yeah. And so, not to mention, also, I feel like it kind of also got something thinking about it in the other Son of type movies, like that Son of Frankenstein that came out not too long after this. Let me let me see when that came out. Son of Frankenstein came out in 1939, which isn't that far off. You also had Dracula's Daughter, which came out. Also around this time, so even yeah, Dracula's Daughter was nineteen thirty six. So even though Son of Kong was the first like son of type, I feel like other movies made it more of a trope than anything like unique to Kong. Especially, I mean, we covered it ourselves with Son of Godzilla in the sixties. Yeah. <laughs> so I think Son of Kong kind of falls to the wayside, which is a shame too. Because funny enough, this is the last movie ever. Where the, where the effects are done with stop motion, ironically. Mm-hmm. 
There's a lot of really nice stuff to talk about in this movie. So I can't yeah. wait to get into that. Okay. No, because, I mean, oh, no, no, no problem. <laughs> I was just going to say, because this is the last time Lewis O'Brien did stuff at King Kong, ironically. He he left off pretty well, I'd say. Yeah. What he did. The effects, I think, are probably the best part of the movie, to be honest, but I'll, I'll get into that later. All right. So, Crash, because you seem so eager, what do you want to talk about now? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I guess we can go to the characters now. Okay, sure. Then I guess we should start off with, of course, we have Carl Denham returning from the last movie. And, of mm-hmm. course, once more, he is played by Robert Armstrong. So, what do you guys think of Denham in this movie? Um, one of my favorite things about this movie is just how it deals with the fallout of King Kong and how that all comes tumbling back to Carl Denham. Because, like, right from the beginning, he's like, yeah, like, I'm being sued up the ass. Everyone <laughs> wants to, like, to get me for money. And I I really enjoy the fact that they actually covered that because that's, like, yeah. a really important thing that would, that would matter after what happened. So, mm-hmm. and just seeing it's kind of, like, I also feel we get to see more of, like, Carl as a character, too, throughout this movie. Yeah. Yeah, like like you guys mentioned, this is a much more character driven movie, and I think it really shows with denim more so. But um, yeah, I'll let you go next. <laughs> I'll expand. Yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, I think what's interesting with Son of Kong is how well King Kong certainly really delves into its cast and kind of fleshes them out. Son of Kong really kind of expands them further. And with Carl Denham, it's especially interesting kind of seeing him deal with the fallout of and the consequences of his actions in Kong. Like, he seems kind of reflective at the end of Kong 33, but here you can really see it kind of crashing down. And it's interesting how it starts off with him kind of doubling down on his negative traits, but then kind of has him build himself up as a character and kind of atone for what he's done. So... On that end, I, I really like that part about a movie. It's just how Carl is expanded as a character and becomes a lot more interesting and likable because of it. Yeah, and I think it's like, we haven't talked about him yet, but his like relationship with Kiko is um, mm-hmm. a big part of that. And just him like starting to actually have like a moral conscience. Like, yeah. Like, trying to like realize like what he's done and trying to pay for it. And yeah. I like that. I feel like Denim here, they did a smart job building off of the end of King Kong 33 where he seems to have a bit of remorse for happened to Kong. I think they do a good job at building off of that. Though, I do think it's really funny, though, how we had that whole, not debate, although we were wondering what they were doing with him and Hilda up until the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. It was like, it was like a game throughout the movie. It's like, oh, I wonder what their relationship is. Thanks to, thanks to 1930s slang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost a hundred-year-old dialogue. I don't understand. <laughs> it's so really funny to me how they called women kids back in those days because, of course, they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I I agree with you guys. I think Denim here is really interesting, and I think the choice to make him to, m- to make him the main character was a good one because they could have somehow bullshitted like Jack yeah. or, or or Anne back into it. But I'm glad they kept it to just Denim and Anglehorn, which which we'll get to later. But they keep it the characters who you would who you feel organically involved. And I'll give them that. I think that's a nice element. And I like how they flesh out Denim more beyond him just being the kind of asshole manipulator he was in Kong 33. Mm-hmm. 
it almost reminds me a bit of like a the Lost World Jurassic Park doing making um Ian Malcolm the protagonist instead of like just doing Alan Grant again. Yeah, and also like kind of like with Hammond's whole thing sort of like, yeah dealing with the fallout of Jurassic Park. That's kind of reflected here, and I like to see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, next up we have Hilda, who was played by Helen Mack. Whoever wants to go first. Yeah, Hilda's really interesting. Um, she's I, I like her character because she has a lot more initiative than um I'd probably say like even Anne from like the first one here. I mean in my opinion. Oh yeah. Well I mean I don't know. That's just kinda how I felt here. I mean I like them both, obviously. Yeah. But like here Hilda feels a lot more like integral to the plot than just kind of being like Kong's like desire. She has her mm-hmm. whole thing. She kind of wants to follow Denim out onto the island just to kind of get away from where she was. Yeah. So, and a weird, weird kind of relationship, not relationship, but it is a relationship with Carl Denham, which mm. was, we, we just talked about it, but it was really confusing trying to figure that out. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think she, rel- relative for the time and compared to Kong, I think, yeah, she's also a good lead, I'd say. Yeah. I feel like for me, I feel like Faye Ray was the better actress in Kong 33. But I think Hilda is a better character than Anne was, if that makes sense. Like, like I said, this when we were watching it, I think Hilda has way more initiative as a character, and she's a yeah. lot stronger too. Like Anne, as fun as she is, she's kind of led around a lot, and then she's a damsel for most of the movie. Yeah. yeah. But but here, Hilda is very much in charge. She does what she wants. She doesn't really listen. Though there is that one really awkward line. Of sexism here, where Denim tells her someone should I'm beat you. Beat you. <laughs> I was like, Denim, no, you can't say that. <laughs> but yeah, it's on. Oh, yeah. I, like, I gotta echo what you guys have said. Um, Hilda's a fun character, a really likable character. Um, and it is a really great, um, interesting character. I like her. But I think. Yeah, um, Hilda's a little more fleshed out and kind of stands more on her own. And I do like how she kind of has like an immediate arc within the movie, like, yeah, and sure. kind of wanted to be an actress, and then she's just kind of a victim, yeah. <laughs> and, and here, Hilda is trying to, like, you know, she has a bunch of stuff going on, she's like, she's curious, she wants an adventure, she wants to escape her home, she wants to avenge her father. Um, Wait, the way she like gets fucking Hellstrom's neck was like something I really <laughs> like. Like she was yeah. just completely verbally destroying him. And I love that part. Mm. But yeah, continue. Sorry. No, no, yeah, yeah, definitely. She's I, I like her assertiveness as a character, just mm-hmm. how how proactive she is. Yeah, and I, something else that I want to also think think is nice. I like them setting up her connection to animals and primates specifically by having her be in charge of the monkeys of her and her dad's circus. Mm-hmm. You know, I did not pick up on that. I don't know how I missed it. But yeah, that's, that's a really nice touch. <laughs> and I also kind of like how they make her and Denim on the same wavelength by her also wanting to be in the entertainment industry. So I think she's really nicely written. I do think towards the end they kind of rush her arc Partly because of stuff with Hellstrom, but we'll get into that when we talk about him. All right. Next up, in terms of big characters, would be Frank, Frank Racher coming back as Captain Englehorn, who in the original movie, 
he was kind of just there, but here he has a much bigger role, I'd say. His presence wasn't as much in the original. Hmm. Yeah, here he's kind of like, I don't know, like a sidekick. I don't know. But kind of like an assistant to them, you know, kind of going out with him, helping him out, and also just being kind of like a homie, trying to help yeah. him get away from all the fucking lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> and he also but, feels very organically brought into, I have to say, like I said earlier, because he was like, they're sure. coming. They're they're going to come after me next because I I brought <laughs> Kong here for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the way they bring in like characters from the past are good. Like they're not just there just because like you know they were the main characters from the first one. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that here. And with Anglehorn, yeah, he he's just he's not like the most complex, but he's just cool to have around. I guess he's chill. Son, <laughs> yeah, I like Anglehorn's presence here. It's kind of like. Um, in the in the first movie, he doesn't have a lot of role, but he's kind of just, you know, your usual respectable captain character. But here, you get to see more that he's kind of more skirting the line of the law, so you yeah. get why he's a guy who go to an island and smuggle <laughs> giant monkeys up the island. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's Which really. Fun. Fun. Oh, go on. Oh, I was just gonna say it's really fun to see. I like his chemistry with um, Carl Denham. Yeah, it's also really funny to me how he was like, "I know, I know what we'll do. We'll just, we'll just, I'm gonna smuggle cargo for a living. It's okay, we got this." <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's like you know this a bit too well, don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, the other character who who we were mentioning just before is John Marston as Nils Hellstrom, who's the main villain of the movie, which is the first time in a Kong movie that you have a human villain. He's just like a really shady kind of guy. Yeah, like a little liar, slimy, and also a mm-hmm. guy in a drunk bar. Not even a bar fight, just in a yeah. drunk fight. <laughs> yeah, and very manipulative. But it's mm-hmm. also really funny seeing him get his ass handed to him multiple times throughout yeah. the movie. <laughs> it's weird because he's like he's like he's a villain, but he's also kind of like bad at being a villain. <laughs> yeah, because right? he fails a lot. But um, yeah, it's interesting seeing a human antagonist in the Kong movie. Yeah. I don't think. Okay, I forget. King Kong versus Godzilla, yeah. I guess, kind of. You little bit, but not so much. There is yeah. other ones coming up, though, who are, like, I'd, I'd consider human antagonists. Hmm. But yeah, before the first one, uh, I'd say he definitely made a presence. He was funny to see, just seeing how slimy and shitty he was. And especially, like, his... Tr- and him being, like, the main reason why they even go back to the island, which is something I appreciate, because... The description on HBO Max was like, Carl Denham goes here to smuggle more animals. And I was like, that's just not right. <laughs> it's incorrect. Yeah. I think even Carl would be like, I'm not go- I'm not trying to go back to Skull Island. Well, 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 yeah, that's the thing. I do appreciate them giving him an organic reasoning to go back. This is yeah. where, he, where he wants to find the treasure. Which is funny enough, I think it's fucking hilarious how the treasure didn't exist <laughs> in, in, in Midhelstrom's mind. But it did <laughs> exist. <laughs> but it was real. I love that. It's like, wait, really? Fuck, treasure's real? What? <laughs> um, but yeah, help some um, thing like trying to like hmm. uh tr- trying to like just run away from the lawn, get away from him, yeah, <laughs> do the treasure. He's so slimy, but I like yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. Hellstrom's an interesting antagonist because uh, I, I kind of enjoys how almost like low key he is. Yeah, villain. He he feels almost I think you say kind of realistic in a way. Yeah. He's like some asshole who accidentally kills someone in a drunk fit of rage, which 
for the time was pretty common. Prohibition <laughs> is a thing. <laughs> was a yeah. thing back then. <laughs> um, and I do like how he doesn't like do anything like you know, kind of. I guess it wouldn't have been generic back then, but generic like now, insane. like try to, yeah. yeah, like insane or try to like kidnap Hilda or something weird. He's just kind of an asshole who's in it for himself, and I. It, he's very um intelligent yet also really dumb. I, <laughs> he has so many funny moments, like when the, he tries to take over the ship. After yeah. the crew to mutiny, then the mutineers are like, "Yeah, it was we don't like any captains. Why would we get rid of the yeah. good captain and replace them?" With yeah, <laughs> yeah, that bit is so funny. <laughs> Kills, him. and I, I absolutely love his death. Yeah, so oh, yeah. <laughs> just fucking eaten by some like fucking sea creature, <laughs> just kind of out of nowhere. So what's okay? I guess I'll get that now. I like Hellstrom. But I think Hellstrom kind of falls victim to the rushed ending of Son of Son of Kong. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think because he just fight. he just dies out of nowhere, and while it's kind of funny, he never gets that like big comeuppance. I feel like like Hilda never gets yeah, any justice really. Definitely. And and I think because there's not enough time, there's no real tension when he when they have to work with him either, which I think is kind of an issue. Like Hilda's just like okay. Fine, I guess. Even though this guy fucking killed her dad, and it's like, never mind that. Yeah. So I think his arc kind of gets cut off because of the rushed ending. If that makes sense. Hmm. No, I mean, like, it doesn't really have like it. It builds up well and it's carried over, but it doesn't really end as strongly as it should. Yeah. Because I feel like his arc ends when the, when the when the mutineers are like "fuck you, get out, get out of here," and they throw him off the ship, and 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 then and then Denim and everyone like who else who got who else got kicked off the ship rescues him, and that's kind of where his arc ends. Besides that bit where he reveals that he was lying about the treasure, and that's kind of it. I feel like. Mm-hmm. All right, and then the last big character I would say who's also. Re- character is Victor Wong as Charlie who is kind of nice to see back and I'd argue he's mm-hmm. not as racist here yeah I was gonna say so like, racist but <laughs> inherently just from his, like the way they designed him it's so whack but um but yeah for one they actually credit him in this movie <laughs> although yeah. they credit him as fucking the Chinese cook cook I was like come on call him Charlie <laughs> that's his name but um but yeah he has a much bigger presence in this movie he actually is a Table to the cast, and I think he has a lot of really funny moments here that mm-hmm. aren't at the expense of his race. Yeah, like I, <laughs> one of them was like when Hellstrom was like going up to the bar and was like trying to demand a, like a drink, like just through pointing, and like Charlie just like gets his neck, like oh no, give me money first. <laughs> He's like oh shit, but um, but yeah, it's like yeah, it's weird, like just inherently, just the way they designed him is still racist, but he's done less like at the expense of who he is as a person. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot, and just having and, and, and he's shown story. more positively too. I feel like in this one, yeah. like he like like he goes along with them, even though he wasn't kicked out. But he sides with Denim and and um, uh, yeah, and Anglehorn over like the mutineers and stuff like that. Do I think? Do I think his shining moment is the is is, is the good? No more big monkeys for you when he oh, says yeah. that to Denim. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was really funny. <laughs> But yeah, Tom. Yeah, I like Charlie Law in this. He has a he he's a character's expanded and feels a bit 
Oh, he has he has more of a character. He's not just the generic. He's not just a joke. In this yeah, he's like a stereotype. He's an actual character, mm-hmm. and they they cut out a majority of his like shitty English. Yeah, <laughs> like he still says stuff wrong, but it's not like the obviously fake indecipherable yeah. accent they give him in Kong Thirty Three. Yeah, I guess. If anything, it makes me happy for Victor Wong as an actor because he got yeah, to do more sure. here, mm-hmm. which was not always the case. So yeah, <laughs> and one thing I was happy is that um, so I know you're right. Yeah, like <laughs> the fact they actually wrote him in as an actual character. Oh, and something else nice, also not to be off crash, oh. is at the end they mentioned that that's he's getting he's say, getting yeah. some of the treasure. <laughs> they were going to mm-hmm. split like the treasure like three ways between all of them. It's like oh, that's. That's nice. I'm glad they weren't just like, oh, Charlie gets nothing, or he gets like, <laughs> a tiny portion. Like they're like, no, yeah, he was with us. Yeah, he's gonna get like some of the money. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, good job. <laughs> he deserves it. Once yeah. again, 1930s. So you have to judge it on different metrics. But I'd say in the 30s, this was a lot less racist than what you're seeing in Kong City Three mm-hmm. from, from from Charlie. Oh yeah, and also he fights off this Dyrakosaurus. <laughs> what else? He tries to kill him. I was like, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's it for all the other characters. Is there any other like more minor characters anyone would want to talk about? Uh, I guess uh, we're talking about Hilda's dad, but he's not really right. like a character. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have a drink with a friend, and he dies. <laughs> he's like, too. He's like, he's like, yeah. you can't tell me what to do. And then and, uh, yeah, because this guy murders him. Who Hilda was telling him not to drink with. And, uh, deep shout out to the the musical monkeys. <laughs> yeah, and the <laughs> and the, the salacious seals. Seal. Yeah. <laughs> Who we see for a brief second? I was like, oh shit, there they go. They're like fucking like waddling. <laughs> I love it. What we see. But yeah, before we move on from the humans, I also want to talk about the native part in this movie because I'm curious how you feel about it. So I, I guess Ton, I'll do go first and what you think about the natives in this one. Um, On one hand, I really like the scene where, you know, Carl's like, oh, we'll go chill with the natives. I'm sure they'll be happy to see us. <laughs> and then he immediately just throws a spear at him or like, go away. Yeah. We brought Kong here to destroy our village. That was, that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and the I, same actor too from, from Kong City Street, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no no, no black face once again. Which is, <laughs> for this guy. Good job, so, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What do you going? Though I do kind of have an issue with them all getting just kind of unceremoniously killed off. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think I have an issue with the island sinking plot in general, which I'll get to later, but I want to focus specifically on the natives. I think it's kind of fucked how it's just like, oh, here's this quick scene of all the natives getting fucking swallowed up. But who gives a shit about them? I know, right? It almost feels like kind of like an afterthought. They're like, okay, then we have the island sink. And then they're like, what about the natives? Like, oh, Sean falling in the water, I guess. Like, it's it's kind of weird because they're kind of careful to avoid showing natives dying in 33 besides the Kong attack. And here they just kind of die. <laughs> yeah. 
I but think yeah, the theme is a lot better. It's just I everything the ending's like the most like whack part about this movie. Like that's where I think yeah. it falls apart. Because here I like the fact that they the natives are like just, you know, they're not wrong. It's like, yeah, you kind of fuck this all up, you know, you mess up everything. Why would we like give you any kind of yeah. like help then? And I appreciate that, that they didn't try to bullshit some shit like natives like, oh no worry, we forgive you. Like you're all good. Mm-hmm. It was realistic there, but then obviously like, like yeah, just they kind of they killed them off at the end. They don't really acknowledge it, and that's just kind of it. There's no like, oh damn, are the natives okay? She's like, oh, we we got away, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and I mean, they show them falling into the crevice from the earthquake, and it's just fucked. It's like, okay, they're dead now. Never mind that. And it's like, uh, like very typical for the time, but not in a good way. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Does anyone have anything else to say about the natives or the human characters, or should we move on to the mind? Mike is the monsters now. Ton. Yeah, I think that's good. Okay. All right. So, of course, the main monster, the titular son of Kong, who has been dubbed Kiko. I could not find where where this name came from, though. Is that a real name? Because on Wikizilla, his profile says Kiko. And apparently Kiko is a mix of Ki from King and Ko from Kong. So I don't know where this name came from, but I feel like it's the main name I've seen for him. Maybe I'm not like sure. a big fan nickname. Yeah, might be a fan nickname, so I want to start with that. I'm going to call him Kiko just because that's what I saw growing up. But in the movie, they only call him Little Kong. Kong. Yeah. yeah. So both names are kind of valid. So anyways, whoever wants to go first on Kiko slash Little Kong. Um, yeah, Little Kong slash Kiko. <laughs> that, that's his official <laughs> name now. Um, yeah, he's really cute. We mm-hmm. don't know how he came to existence. We just know King Kong <laughs> does fuck. That's confirmed. <laughs> but um yeah, he's cute, he's tiny, and he's just like just such a homie to denim just cause I like mm-hmm. see I like I like that like weird kind of, I feel like they always do that with like monster kids, I swear. They're always like super chill and super nice, I guess, mm-hmm. before they grow up and become very scary. <laughs> but yeah, his scenes there they're really cute. The stop motion's done really well, and that really surprised me considering how fast this movie came out. Yeah, Russell Bryan was able to do such really. It, it you can obviously tell like the scenes are much more like low scale, smaller scale, less intensity, but stop motion there is really done well with Kiko, and I just I just like him. He was really cute, just walking around, helping him out, helping Denim out. He's like a little child. Yeah, seeing Denim and Hilda like form this little bond with Kiko throughout the movie was really cute and. Makes his ending really sad. <laughs> All right, John. Uh, yeah, I like Kiko a lot. Um, he kind of has a nice, distinctive design. He has like white hair compared to yeah. Um, I, I was gonna say yeah. that mm-hmm. he's a he he he's he's an albino gorilla, which is interesting. But go on, sorry. He, he takes after his mom. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um. He's a fun little character. He's very cute, like Crash said. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting um, how you mentioned, you mentioned earlier how this movie's kind of written more humorously than Kong 33. Yeah. I feel like that really comes apparent from Kiko. He's, uh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he has a lot of like slapstick moments and he's definitely not as, um, badass as his dad was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really love this. Like, <laughs> Go on, sorry. 
oh, like when he fights the cave bear. Yeah. Think he beat it. And he's like popping <laughs> off. The cave yeah. Bear <laughs> well, what I was going to say, I like how Kiko, because he's younger, he's not as experienced with fighting as Kong is. So he makes a lot more mistakes. Like, like you said, like, like with the cave bear when he, when he thinks it's dead and it's not. And it fucking tackles him and he's like, ah, what the fuck? <laughs> he's just really blown. Yeah. But, be, but I also like how they, they, they kind of gave him like Kong mannerisms too. Like after he yes, same. Him, he's like playing around, do a little victory thing. I love that. Yeah. You, you see like, how is his son? And I, yeah. He's so cute. <laughs> but yeah, son, go on. Yeah. And I do like how he almost feels kind of like aimless with his um, father did. Mm-hmm. It's like, you, 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 he has like this sense of helplessness to him. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which really makes some um, Carl's like sympathy toward Kiko feel natural, because mm-hmm. it's like you you sympathize with Kiko too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have to wonder where the fuck was he in Kong Thirty Three then? <laughs> where was Kong Keep again? Do the same place that um, Minya was kept whenever Godzilla was fighting. Though that was Anne. Well, that was Anne taken to be like like his like new mom. Was was that why Kong was like Somebody you know? Said. Maybe <laughs> you can form a fan theory on the fact that, that Kiko was albino and Anne is and Anne was white. <laughs> yeah, it adds more layers to the thirty-three method. <laughs> Maybe Khan is just really attracted to the color white. <laughs> Maybe he was like, "Wow, another albino Kong." When he oh, saw wow, Anne, she's much smaller. Just a funny thought I had, but yeah, I have to say I feel like the shining moment for Kiko. As I love, like you guys said, like his personality and his more docile nature. But I feel like the shining moment of this movie for me, monster-wise, is that bit where he sacrifices himself to save Denim because Denim and and Hilda saved them earlier. That scene is just really good, and even with my issues with that movie and that climax in general, just a shot of him holding up Denim while he's drowning is a really good shot. Mm-hmm. So sad. A lot of the monster movies tend to do their monster in tragic ways. Like not even just this. You have Godzilla and Gojira. You have the Ritosaurus' death and Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, et cetera, et cetera. Or like hell, Kong back in thirty three. Just that really tragic way of killing them off. I think Kiko especially because he dies to save somebody else. So they really nail that aspect. Yeah. I feel like just the boy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you know Western movie they would have had like. Kiko be as violent as his dad and get killed off of the mm-hmm. human. But I do like how Kiko is really a victim here, but a hero who kind of sacrifices himself. Yeah. yeah. Like, through that bond they got. And it's mm-hmm. really nice. And that shot's really nice, too. Like, his hand, like, sticking out of the water. Also, like, mm-hmm. this whole storm's going about. And I also appreciate how, how they don't just move on from it, either. Like, like, like Denim, like, is, is really thinking about it. Like, did, did, does he know that he was saving me or like what was he doing mm-hmm. and then Hilda's like I think he did though yeah that, that was an interesting like sort of like mini arc I guess throughout they were like does mm-hmm. he really is he really like care about me like does he actually like think I'm a nice guy like does, mm-hmm. he, does he have sympathy for me and just seeing that like at the end I thought that was a nice way to bring it back together there yeah Alright, next up, if anyone doesn't have anything else left to say about, about Kiko, is a, is a monster who was not a monster, but an animal which wasn't used in Kong 33, but had the model made, who I mentioned last time, and that is the Cyracosaurus, who is the only new dinosaur we see in this one. 
Mm-hmm. Starachosaurus. He has short but funny brief scene. Yeah. <laughs> Chasing like the other three members was, was Charlie, uh, Engelhorn, and Hellstrom. Which yeah. Is a little like crevice. Kind of remind me of that one scene in The Lost World. Yeah. In the waterfall. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was cool to see the dinosaur like that, especially one. You can kind of see it here. They're using like a lot of models that you think it's used for 33. So again, yeah. to life was cool. And the Styracosaurus was cool even if it had a small scene like that. Yeah, I love the bit where it just chomps the gun and destroys it. I know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, Don? Yeah. Um, I, I really love the Styracosaurus. That's probably where the effects of this movie are really impressive despite how quickly put together it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it moves really naturally and it's really just as quality as say like the Stegosaurus and Kong 33. Mm-hmm. So the Spiraling Willis O'Brien so d- didn't was didn't uh, mess up the effects here. Yeah. Um it's just kinda of nice seeing the Styracosaurus. It's a it's to be a dinosaur nerd, it's a cool ceratops. You don't really see it in movies and stuff. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Ceratopsaurus in particular. But before I go on, if anyone knows me, I'm the biggest ceratopsian fan around. <laughs> so I love when the whenever they show up, even though my favorite ceratops, I still love it. Ceratopsaurus is really such a retrosaurus kind of. Like they haven't really shown up in media much after this era. The only other one I can think of is is when they got used in Disney's Dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and this is kind of like the big Ceratosaurus movie, even if it's not in the movie that much. I also love how it eventually just left them alone, but it was there hounding, <laughs> like char- hounding them for like a, a night. Like I'm <laughs> fucking off as hell, and I'm not leaving. Yeah, the dinosaurs on Skull Island are just fucking vicious. They will not know, stop right? trying to kill you. <laughs> but yeah, um, does anyone else have anything to say about the Ceratosaurus, or should we move on to to something else? Um, you go to the next one. Okay. The next one, of course, as we mentioned before, was the Cave Bear, which is another unused model from Kong 33, where it was going to fight Kong, but obviously that got changed to this, where it fights Kiko. And I honestly feel like that works better because I feel like the scaling is more accurate there. Yeah. I was going to say, like, you can't have him fight another giant T Rex. He would get body. He's tiny. But yeah. one more to scale with that's with little Kong was a good, good Yeah. Idea. And also, this is the first non-Kong mammal we see on Skull Island, yeah. which is neat. I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh, makes sense, I guess. I mean, we have Kong there, so like, yeah. But it was cool to see. And like you mentioned earlier, I like how that battle's a lot more, like, rough on Kong's end. Like, he's struggling a lot more. Yeah. Would. And it's it's nice to see him, like, sort of get to that level and trying to get better. Although, he dies, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to see. Ton. Yeah, um, the cave bear is um, really, really cool. Uh, I, mm-hmm. might, I might be talking out of my butt, but you don't really see too many mammals in monster movies. Yeah, you really don't. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice to have, like, kind of, even if it is, like, a big bear. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I love bears, but they're, they're not the most complex animals. Yeah. Sure. But um, I really like just how. And it's, it's mm-hmm. the, oh sorry, stuttered there. Yeah, the stop motion is really impressive with the K Bear. It feels very natural in its movements, and the key, I like how low key the fight with Kiko is compared yeah. to the T Rex fight. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as epic, mm-hmm. but I do like how like natural it feels. It feels like a you know a giant gorilla fighting a yeah. bear. Yeah, I think I think what they really see it in is making the bear feel very different from the Kongs 
and how it moves and acts. Mm-hmm. Like you see how it uses its paws more, like how bears fight rather than like gripping. It it's just really cool. I, I like how they did the cave bear. Also, even though it's it's an antagonist, it's also kind of really adorable because <laughs> <laughs> it's a big bear. If you come on, they always yeah. look, look cute. <laughs> mm-hmm. These all shout outs to Willis O'Brien. Like he did all yeah. this really well. But that, that seems really funny because like a denim and Hilda are just watching, and he has a gun, and he's just watching yeah. them fight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, at that point, they know Kiko's friendly, so they're just, like, watching them die. Like, it's yo, so monster fight? Hi. <laughs> just, just <laughs> yeah, they are. But, but yeah, um, uh, and and the only other big monster of this movie, because the time's kind of sure about get to that after, with the pacing, um, is the dragon, which is the only non-dinosaur or prehistoric animal besides the Kongs on Skull Island. Apparently, I looked this up on Wikipedia. It said it's supposed to be a Nothosaurus, but I have no idea. I'm it's... not sure if I trust that, to be honest, because sometimes you'll get weird stuff where people like give an animal like a species name, and it's not because on a Wikizilla they credit it as the dragon. Wiki <laughs> Wikizilla, the true source of information. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's just a weird creature. Yeah, either way, it's it's very original. Obviously, that's how they are with like all these old animals. The way they do, mm-hmm. I like his like weird, like soulless white eyes he has. Looks really creepy. And yeah, looking around like a dragon. Yeah, and I think if you go to any cave, you get some kind of serpentine ass monster showing up on school. Yeah, seem. <laughs> <laughs> so like their their fight was cool. It's when they're fighting the they're getting the treasure. Yeah, done. Uh, yeah, I like the dragon. Um definitely doesn't shine as much as the cave bear or some of the other monsters but mm-hmm. the stop motion is really impressive with it um i i kind of prefer like dinosaurs in these kind of retro movies yeah. but i it does have like a nice design and feels fitting it doesn't feel out of place or anything yeah so i can see why they're kind of just like you know just throw something weird in there. We yeah. <laughs> I feel like the dragon was the only new highly new model because Kiko was made using the armatures of the original Kong models. So I feel like this is the only entirely new one. Mm-hmm. Because the Saracosaurus and the Cave Bear are from Kong 33 left over. So I think it's just this and that sea serpent at the end that are yeah. entirely new. That sounds right. So and yeah, cool. and then there's only one more, I guess, right? I mean, there's only. I mean, if you, I don't think there's much to say about the sea serpent. It just shows up <laughs> yes, in each house from, and the, and then you get the cameo, the, the brontosaurus fucking drowning to death at the end there. Yeah, that, that's the same one that killed him in thirty three. So hell yeah, fucking evil brontosaurus. <laughs> it gets exercised by the waves. <laughs> Which speaking of, I guess that leads me into my. Final two things I want to say about Sonic Kong. I'm gonna go for. I feel like the sinking of the island is not good because it comes up so randomly and out of nowhere with no foreshadowing. That even though you get that very nice scene of Kiko sacrificing himself for Denim, it's just so abrupt and weird. If that makes sense, I agree. Like I think at the very least they should have built up to it. Maybe there could be like random 
like earthquakes or something just something to like just show like the island's like unstable if they were gonna do that yeah because you're right at the, like when that happened i was like wait what's happening and it's like oh it's just a massive like fucking hurricane just like flooding the entire island like it's just like earthquake just falling apart I'm yeah like, this come it just happened <laughs> out of nowhere and it goes so fast yeah and if there's any build-up to it i think that would have made it a lot better because it just kind of happens and it feels weird Tom. yeah so, if anyone knows me, um, I'm a fan of Lost Worlds, like, um, mm-hmm. I, like um, Skull Island, or like, you know, the the OG Lost World and stuff like that. But probably one of my least favorite tropes with these kind of like pulpy dinosaur lands is when they have them just get arbitrarily destroyed for some reason. Yeah. Um. No, never mind. I won't. I won't mention Jurassic World. This is a Jurassic Park. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it happens a lot. Like you know, Tom. I just talking about now. We're like, you know, in the Lost from 1925, that mm-hmm. the fucking plateau gets destroyed by a volcano out of nowhere too. Yeah, I guess it's like the show, I like guess, oh. yeah, just the trope of the time of an island. Yeah, just like we gotta blow it up. <laughs> yeah, but it's very weird. But go on, Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it always kind of kind of annoys me and here it's especially egregious because like i was talking to Faye about um it earlier it's just the fact that um it it just happens out of nowhere with like no so you don't see any like a volcanic i mean you don't see any earthquakes mm. or volcanic yeah. activity it's just all of a sudden it's like oh the island's sinking we gotta run <laughs> And all of a sudden, a big ass hurricane comes in to the flood it at the same time. Yeah, because there's rain everywhere. Mm-hmm. Then, like, I, I will be fair and give credit where it's due. Visually, it's very spectacular. Like, yeah, miniature falling apart and sinking into the water is very visually gorgeous. Um, Carl and Kiko's escape sequence before he holds them up is really well done. Uh, I just I hate the trope. And it's so kind of forced in here. Just yeah. And I guess that leads me to my other point, which I was going to say. And I feel like the pacing in this movie is really whack and messed up. Because they don't get to Skull Island until, like, the last third of the movie, and they're not on it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can definitely tell, like, the lower budget and the lower scale of it definitely makes it feel like that. But I, I didn't really. The movie itself is really short already, and it was going so fast. I didn't really find a big of an issue with the pacing as much. Okay, but Tom, I but I see what you mean. Like they are not Skull Island a long time. Tom, what did you think? Yeah, um, this movie goes by really quickly. So like, I think it kind of tells its story well enough, but I, it's at only sixty nine minutes. Nice number. Uh, <laughs> Nice. You don't really get time to like kind of relax or settle anywhere. Like I would have liked to have seen more Skull Island, like you do in Kong Thirty Three. The the intro isn't slow, but it definitely if you're here for monster content, there's not a lot to enjoy. Which I mean is always a bad or good thing, and definitely is because of the limited budget compared to Kong Thirty Three. But just it. Like I said earlier, it's like if you're looking for a sequel that's like bigger than the original, Son of Kong is not that. 
I think it could have easily benefited from another 20 or 30 minutes of runtime. Yeah. To make it to make it as long as Kong 33. But I think that's where like that rush we we have to get this going because this film unexpectedly what was hilarious was not not hilarious. It was hilarious. Yeah, it was unexpectedly <laughs> successful. So we have to rush this out and get it going. So we have to get the script. We have to get the we have to get the casting locations, the effects, et cetera, et cetera. I wish they let it at least wait until nineteen thirty four. Because as much as we don't like Godzilla raids again on this podcast, I think at least that movie had some time to to be able to. Ironically, Godzilla raids again has the opposite issue of Son of Kong, where it's boring because it's too long. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I think they both have similar issues from being rushed out after their movies were unexpectedly successful. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think if Sonic Kong had a little more development time, it may have let people digest Kong 33, but it could have been a little more successful. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the shame here because Sonic Kong is the end of that initial Kong era, seeing how, like, it didn't do horribly. But obviously, it didn't do well enough for them to want to keep making more Kong movies in comparison to, say, like Frankenstein or Dracula, who were keep who were going strong at this time from Universal, like the Mummy film, et cetera, et cetera. And like obviously, Kong wouldn't come back until almost twenty years later in 1962 with King Kong vs. Godzilla. And I think this is kind of the start of Kong's awkwardness of remaining relevant past the first movie, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyways, does anyone have anything else they want to talk about? What's Son of Kong? In general? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Random ass stuff about the naming conventions in King Kong and Son of Kong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we mentioned this the last episode, but um, yeah, in the first King Kong movie, they, they never fucking say King Kong. And we just learned that that's because apparently that was a last minute addition to the title by like. Yeah. One of the company's, I forget, executives. Like before he left, he was like, "Oh, by the way, add King to the name." Bye. Yeah, <laughs> and for very racist reasons, too, he was like, "Kong sounds Chinese." Yeah, too, too Chinese. Yeah, it was like really whack. And yeah, <laughs> but um, but you you can see it in the movie because there's only one frame where it says King Kong besides the title, and that's like yeah. the theater where they're premiering, premiering him. Yeah, and that's very strange. And then, but in this one, they're going all out. They're, they say King Kong. Johnson, yeah, and I was kind of surprised about that. I was like, oh, but I mean, I guess it makes sense. And but also, they still don't call it Skull Island yet in this movie. Yeah, it's still yeah, just the they, island. It's just the island. They don't even mention the Skull Mountain this time. So it's just like, it's just weird how these iconic names like they didn't even start in the first movie. <laughs> they yeah. just kind of like they just over time just became like the standard, I guess, just from like popularity. Yeah, I, I guess Skull Island might have been like a fan name. You think like it just became popular. I well, I feel like the first well, the first movie to use it was King Kong seventy six. So it might have been even just people misremembering it and mixing up yeah. Skull Mountain and and Skull Island. Maybe. But yeah, um, so something else that I did want to mention, which I which I forgot to mention when we were talking about Hellstrom, was the fucking hilariousness that 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 was the fact that they revealed that he was who Denim got the map from. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was. It- it, it make it kind of makes it. He's a really shady character, but it's kind of yeah. a funny recognize. Like, oh yeah, this is the guy who gave gave him the map. I was like, huh, 
I guess I didn't know that, and now I do. <laughs> but it, it was funny. Yeah. I feel like that was different in Kong 33. I might be wrong. I feel like they had a different explanation for the map. Maybe there's a way to reconcile like, it. I want to say he was just like, oh yeah, like I got this map from like... like I feel like they said that the map or the description of the island or something... Actually, you know what? I think I'm mixing up. Never mind, never mind. The map's fine. I have to check like a clip or something. Yeah. But yeah. It's easy but to yeah. Yeah, that was really funny, though. Anyways, is there anything else anyone would want to discuss, or are we um, good yeah, to close out? I guess we can close out. All right, so next time, though, we, we, we will be discussing, we'll be going back to Toho for their second and final um, Kong movie, King Kong Escapes from 1967. Oh, boy, I can't wait. The of Kong, look at him, he's epic. But um, yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to see another Toho take on King Kong. Mm-hmm. Those King Kong's are really fun, so I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, uh, thoughts, go, yeah. yeah, I was going to say that. Crash, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, Um. so this movie is very flawed, and I think the ending is super out of nowhere. But I think just inherently for me, just getting another King Kong story that's not a remake of 33 and just doing something different for once really made it stand out for me, and I, I really enjoyed it a lot. I like Kiko. So I recognize the flaws, but I but I had a lot of fun with it. And I think... If you, if you like King Kong, like this movie is really short. I don't think it would hurt to watch it. Yeah. Ton. Yeah, I think Son of Kong is a flawed sequel, but it's not a bad sequel. It'll it it, it will not harm your experience with Thirty Three, and it's not really that egregious a story. Honestly, if anything, I would rather see this remade instead of Kong Thirty Three again. Yeah. I think. It, oh yeah. <laughs> Real quick, there was a fun fact that I forgot to mention. When King Kong 2005 came out, there was a April Fool's joke that Peter Jackson did where they made a fake trailer for a remake of Son of Kong where they had go in, in, in World War II like with, like, with fucking gag-gaddling guns on his shoulders fighting oh, the Germans. That would be epic. They should have made that. <laughs> That's just a funny little thing I wanted to bring up. Anyways, I'm a ton. Did, did you have anything else to say? Yeah. Um... I, I, I overall I recommend it. Just don't go in expecting like Kong thirty three two. It's not, but it's yeah. not. It's a fine movie, um, and it's short, so it's not gonna like waste your time or anything. Check it out. It's fun. It's not the greatest movie ever, but what movie is? So <laughs> that's that's Son of Kong. My my Son of Kong take. Yeah, for me, with, with Son of Kong, I think it's a really fun movie, and, and I'd recommend it if you're if you're into Kong. I think you'll enjoy it. I think it suffers from pacing issues and from the rush production, but I prefer it over the other similarly rushed Godzilla rates again, personally. And I think that kind of sums it up. I'd rather have a short but fun and flawed movie than a long, drawn-out bore, and I'm glad that Kong is that, at least. All right, everyone. This has been episode two of the Kong Roundtable. Next week, like I said, we'll be discussing King Kong Escapes. Until then, thank you for listening, and have a good day.